Uh, as a pastor, I have a unique role, responsibility, if you want to say it that way. And, and so this series really comes out of this place of one of the things of my responsibility as a pastor, which is to see things and to help prepare you and even warn you at times and, and just kind of say, hey, this is what I see on the horizon. And it's, it's actually a pretty obvious one. This has actually been something that I've seen and watched for some time now. But uh, as we were praying about what to share, what to communicate, uh, this is pretty high high on my list of things that this is things I need to be uh, preaching on this year. And, uh, and so, you know, a lot of times for me, the way it works, I've had people ask me they're like, well, how do you know what to preach? And for me, it doesn't work this way for everybody. But for me, a lot of times it's just, I get a burden on my heart, something kind of heavy on me. And I start praying about it and the Lord starts to speak to me about it. And so a lot of times that's how that happens. And that's what happened here as I was actually this verse that we'll look at here in a few minutes, which is where the title of this series comes from. Even if just kind of hit me one day, just and I was like, oh, and uh, so I, you know, and so as I began to pray and ask the Lord what that was about, um, he began to show me some things, share some things with me. And so that's what this series is all about, um, is about really it's preparation for the future, but not just the future, but I believe we're already there um, in some ways. And so, uh, you know, obviously uh, we can look around culturally and our world is changing. Um, and it has been for some time, but it seems like we've just kind of hit the fast forward button a little bit. And it just seems like things have gained some traction very quickly. And that affects us as believers, as Christians. And so, um, you know, and this is what I want you to know is when I talk about our world is changing, I don't just mean the world like on a global scale. It's like, hey, well, something's happening in another nation or something's happening in our nation. You know, we can see things on the news and say, well, that's a long ways from me. Well, I'm telling you that culture is changing in your own backyard. And it's easy to look at reports and see things on the news and think, well, that doesn't really affect me. I live a long ways from that area. It's closer than we realize. And as believers, the Bible actually gives us ways in which we are to live. And so that's what we're going to be doing in this series. I mean, we can talk about and I can share with you that as believers, as followers of Jesus... That we're actually called to be different than the culture, than the world, than the society. The Bible says that we're supposed to be salt in the earth, right? In other words, we're supposed to taste a little different. And I don't know about you, but I have a thing for salt. I like salt. If I had to pick salt or sugar, well, I don't know. That'd be a tough one. But if it comes to food... I. I drink my sugar and I eat my salt. That's how that works in my life. And, uh, but I do love some salt. But have you ever had some bad salt that like really doesn't have much flavor and you just keep putting more on there and more on there and more on there? And it's just like, what's the point of this? And the Bible actually tells us Jesus taught and said, if salt has lost its flavor, let me say it this way. If salt has lost its difference, it's of no effect. And the church as believers, as followers of Christ, we are to live differently and that's not what this series is necessarily about, but it is important that we understand that fact is that we are to be different. We're not to look or to sound like the culture. We should actually be countercultural in the sense that people should notice that there's something different about us to the point not, and I say this a lot because it's important to me, not so that we're weird, but so that they see something that is attractive and they see in us the life of God, who Jesus is and what he wants to do in every person's heart. And so, but the question becomes is how do we respond 
to a culture, to a society, or an environment that pushes back against our beliefs or our convictions. Like, how do we respond? What do we do? And more importantly, what happens when the culture begins to push back upon the Word of God, God's standard, what He has said? And so how do we live kind of in both places? Like the Bible says it this way, is that I'm in the world, but I'm no longer of this world. So I I, I still live here. I'm not like trying to run away and just be like, everything in the world is bad. And I'm just going to go find a cabin in the mountains away from everybody. Although some days that sounds really good. And, uh, you know, maybe yours is on the beach by yourself somewhere, but mine's in the mountains. And, uh, you know, some days that's good, but I can't live in that place. Why? Because our call as the church and as individuals is to populate heaven and to plunder hell. Well, how can we win people to Jesus if we're never around people who don't know Jesus? But there has to be something different about us. And so, you know, and so really even as we begin to, and and I'll just kind of, spoiler alert, here's what I'm going to tell you. This is what the series is about, is that persecution is coming to the church. Like, we haven't seen it yet. Like, I, I remember a number of years ago, I was in the Philippines. I was there, I'd taken a, a team, and we were there. And I learned an interesting fact about pastors in the Philippines. That when they graduated Bible school, they got a diploma and a pistol. I'm like, where's my pistol? Like, I got short, I got short changed in this deal. And, you know, and the reality is, is that, I mean, I've been in places, I was in the Philippines and I was on a boat and somebody put a price tag on my head. I was unaware of this. The guy that I was with that had the pistol came to me and said, Hey, you need to get in the car. And I'm like, what's going on? 20 minutes later, he began to tell me it was me and three other buddies. And he said, Hey, those American guys over there, I can get X number of dollars for them. Needless to say, the car got quiet for a little while. And I began to think about a lot of things. Because I was thinking about bringing like 50 people in three months to the same region. Yeah, it makes you think. Like, "Ah, do we want to do this? Is this really the right thing? And look, and I don't believe that we're going to get, I I mean, I, I pray that we don't get to that kind of a place in our country. But the reality is, is that the enemy is in full press, full court pressure against the church. Why? Because he knows time is limited. Well, we either have a choice and we can either shrink back, we can shut up, or we can stand up. The choice is up to us. And, and, and the thing is, is that many times when you say, man, I want to see the power of God. You know, I mean, like people ask me questions like, how come they see miracles in other countries and we don't see them in America that way? Well, they also have persecution that we know nothing about. You know, I, mean, I was actually, I bought a book in preparation for this series, thinking that it would maybe give me some stories to share with you. And quite honestly, I can't even share the stories with you because we can't even relate to them. I'll share you one example, though. It was just pretty cool. So there was a, a, a guy, and he's in the Middle East. And So long story short, he's trying to reach a guy for the gospel of Jesus, trying to, to, to touch his life, and the guy's putting death threats on him. Like texting, calling, puts notes on his front door all the time, but when they're face-to-face, the guy's very cordial. So he, he went to this guy's house, which is in a very um, adversarial area of the Middle East to Christians. It's a, it's a Muslim stronghold. And so they're going, and as they leave, 
His whole car gets riddled with bullets. They're trying to kill him. And so, not too long thereafter, the guy, and the guy had actually left a Bible with this guy um, at his house. And the guy, he's like, you know, he's probably going to throw it away, whatever. So, a few months go by, and he goes back, and this time he's going to take his wife. Now, remember, the same guy that just got the car full of bullet holes. And his buddy, whose car it was, came to pick him up, and he said, oh, I like your rainbow-colored car. And the guy made a statement. I wish I had the book. I, I had it in my backpack. But he made a statement. I won't get it exactly right. But he had went and got new panels for the car. And he says, I want to erase the devil's threats as quickly as possible. And the guy took his wife back to see this man who has avowed himself to see that this man dies. And now he's taking his wife to this guy's house. We don't know persecution like this. Long story short, they get there, the guy apologizes, he started reading the Bible. The guy gave his life to Christ because one guy was willing to drive into a place that the rest of us would have said, there's no way I'm going there. And our persecution may look differently, but make no mistake about it, there is persecution for the church. And I know this is kind of heavy, and I, I realize that, but I, part of my job is to get you to see and to wake up. You know, I mean, many of you have probably heard this analogy before, this example, that if you take a, a frog and put him in hot water, he'll jump out. If you take that same frog and put him in a pot of water and you turn the heat on underneath him, it won't be long and you'll be eating frog legs. We don't want to be the frog. And it's easy for us as believers to get lulled into this place of just kind of not really paying attention and understanding. The Bible says that we're to what? Understand the days and the times and the seasons in which we live. So in other words, I've got to have my eyes open. My heart has to be open to listen for the Lord as to how I'm to live in a season. And so there's an example in the, in the book of Daniel that tells us about this. And so I'm going to spend uh, some time this morning talking about this. But I'm going to jump into the text here. Starting in Daniel chapter 3. This may or may not be a familiar passage of scripture. But we're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, so it's three Hebrew guys that were in captivity in a country called Babylon. And so uh, let me just kind of read this part to you and I'm going to paraphrase some of it just for the sake of time and it'll be up on the screens for you starting in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3 it says King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon it says then he sent messages to all of his officials and they list all of them here it says to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up now this is important King Nebuchadnezzar built a statue of himself Set it up. And so he sends out this message to everybody. To all of his people. And he says, so all the officials came and they stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It says, and then a herald shouted out, all people of all races, nations, uh, languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the, I don't even know what a zither is, by the way. I have no idea. Apparently it's an instrument. But when you hear music begin to play... This is the commandment of the king, is that you are to bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue. Now, what was the statue? King Nebuchadnezzar. So he says, when you hear the music begin to play, you are to bow down and worship my statue. And what he's really saying is, I want you to bow down and worship me. 
He's elevating, and, and you'll actually see this in a minute in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He's actually elevated himself because he was the most powerful man on the planet. He, he had the greatest kingdom. He, he had the, the, the stature and all the things. And, and he had actually gotten to this place where he says that I am like God. And he, he goes on and he adds this. And he says, anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the burning furnace. So, really it's pretty simple. He didn't leave much room for question here. He said, you've got one of two choices. And so, it goes on and, and the, the the scripture tells us the story, but I'm going to skip down to verse 12. But basically, what happens is, is that the music plays and everybody bows, everybody worships, except for these three Hebrew boys that we read about in scripture. And so some of the officials of Nebuchadnezzar come to him and say, in verse 12, it says, Hey, there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. Now, this is important to, to realize this part. The king has actually put them in a place, even though they're captives, even though they're technically slaves in a foreign country, they've actually had favor, and I'll show you this here in just a moment, with the king of Babylon to the point that he puts them in positions of authority. And it goes on and it says in the second part of the verse, it says they pay no attention to you, your majesty. Like, hey, they're totally ignoring you. And it says, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. This golden statue. And so the options were actually very simple. There was two choices. You either bow or you burn. It's not complicated, right? That's what he said. Either you bow down when the music plays or I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And so we have to understand about this moment. Because if you're like me, you might have gone to church as a kid or maybe went to a VBS and you remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you, but in a way, if we're not careful, we can make this really no way to apply for us. And yet there's a lot of wisdom in the story here that we can pull. But I, you know, and the thing is, is that we have to understand is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys, they had a lot to lose. In, in modern terms, they were made men. They were, they were taken care of by the king. They weren't just like low-level officials. They were high-level officials under his rule, if you will. And they were willing to, pay, uh, to lay everything on the line for what? For the convictions of their heart. See, in, in Daniel chapter 1, two chapters before, the king actually, and this is really... Uh, so obviously chapter 3, we're backing up a little bit so that we're kind of rewinding in time a little bit. But it says that the king orders Ashpenaz, his chief of staff. Now this is when they first bring the children of Israel into the land of Babylon. He says to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal families and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. It says select only the strong, the healthy, and the good-looking young men. Go find the best and the brightest. And bring them to me. And now this is very strategic in what he tells them to do. He says, make sure that they are well versed in every branch of learning. In other words, what they know, you need to teach them something different. You need to change the way that they think, the way that they understand, the way that they process and see things. And so they need to be well versed in, in learning. They need to be gifted in knowledge and good judgment. And they needed to be suited to serve. Let me say it another way. You need to beat them into submission. He 
goes on and it says, train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. This is a culture war, is what you're reading right here. He say, look, they are from this culture, but we need them to understand and be a part of our culture. We want to not just change them or change how they think. We want to change who they are. It actually, in verse 7, they, they get renamed. We call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's not even their real names. But that's how we... Because they had Jewish names. Those are their Babylonian names. Well, that was an attack and an assault upon who they are. And so you can see multiple avenues, if you will, multiple ways that Nebuchadnezzar is like, I want to fundamentally change who these guys are. And I want them not just to question who they are, I want to change who they are. And this is important that we see this, we understand this. It goes on in verse 17 through verses 20, it says about these four young men, because Daniel was included. There was Daniel, they're, they're Jewish names, I'll tell them to you. Uh, verse 7 says, Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Like, that's kind of a downgrade. I like Daniel a lot better. <laughs> Hananiah became Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. Azariah became Abednego. So there's four guys that we read about in the book of Daniel. Now we know Daniel because of the Daniel in the lion's den, right? Either you don't pray or I'm going to feed you to the... I mean, this kind of gives you an idea of Nebuchadnezzar, what he's like. He said, you either do what I tell you or I'm going to kill you. That's pretty much his... Mode of operation. But we read here, and it's very interesting, that it says that God gave. So you have Nebuchadnezzar's expectations. But in verse 17, it says that God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. So Nebuchadnezzar has a plan, but God has a plan. And we see this right here in this moment. It says, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. And it says, when the training period uh, ordered by the king was uh, completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service, and whenever the king consulted them in any matter concerning wisdom or balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdoms. Now you can go and read this. And, and it says that look the king took care of every one of their needs. Food was allotted. Resources. Anything they needed was just. They didn't even have to ask. They just said hey I want this. And it would be brought to them. And so for them to stand up against Nebuchadnezzar. Is really. It's going to cost them everything. Because they're. I mean their comfort. All of their stuff. And all of these things. And don't worry, I'm not predicting, prophesying that for you. But I think that there, that there was something in these guys that we have to have. If we're going to see the power of God work for us, then we have to be people of faith. But, even be, but that's even kind of a vague statement. It's like, what does it mean to be a people of faith? It means to be a person of conviction. That I don't live based on my circumstances. I live based off of the convictions of my heart. And what God has shown me. What God has brought into my life. And it's a very different mentality. Is that I don't live for myself any longer. But I live actually in accordance and to agreement to God's word. And it, it, it requires a backbone. I don't know about you, but I, there have been times that I have allowed people to kind of run me over. And then one day I got tired of that. 
And I just said, hey, you're not going to treat me like that. Now I just said it much more pleasant than I did that day. But we have to live from this place of real conviction. And when I say conviction, it's a deep-hearted, deep-rooted belief. It's not casual. It's not flippant. I mean, it's deep in us. Because here's the thing that we have to know. Is that we'll never control what happens to us. Ever. We can't control the environment. We can't control, I mean... Can anybody make it stop raining right now? (laughs) We can't control what happens externally. But we can absolutely 100% control what happens in us. And that's more important. And that's actually the real battle. Because these three Hebrew boys, they knew this. Whether they knew it here, if they just had a conviction in their heart... They knew that for them to compromise was actually them compromising their heart. And so they had to make a decision. See, what happens when we compromise our convictions, we actually compromise our heart and we lose a little bit of who we are. And, you know, there's a phrase that's like a, a death by a thousand sticks. It's just a slow methodical and before long we will not we will let go of things that we once held very strongly to. That now we've walked away from because just over the period of time, we just kind of walk away and step away. Now, we would still claim to it. We'd say, oh, yes, I believe the Bible. And my question for you is, do you? Like in, like deep inside of you. Is the Bible God's authority in your life? Or is it not? Now, the story goes on. Well, let me, let me say this real quick. I need to touch on this. Is, is because, and I think that it's important. Because every time that we compromise, it changes us. It does. Every time we compromise, it changes us a little bit. And so, we're at war, and we have to understand that. The Bible talks about this. That's why it talks about the armor of God. You don't need armor if you're at the beach. You don't need armor if you're on vacation. But we are in a fight. We are in a war. But it's not a physical war. It's a battle for our heart. Even culturally speaking. If you look at our culture right now. We live in this self-exalting. Self-gratifying. Make it look picture perfect. Regardless of what the truth is. Let's just post it to look good. Like we live in a culture that's deficient of honesty. We would rather lie than be honest with ourselves. And as long as everybody else says I'm good, it doesn't matter what I know about myself. See, there's this this fight for our heart. See, culture is not after our attention. We think that. We see it all the time. I mean, you know, there's, there's stuff that is vying for our attention constantly, all day, every day. Culture is not after your attention. It is after your heart. There's a huge difference. Because what? With your heart you believe. The Bible says. And if culture can get your heart. It can change what you believe. Jumping down. Or picking back up at verse 13. 
So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, tattletales, go tell on them and say, Nebuchadnezzar, these guys won't bow. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 13, flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. It says, when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or, the gold, or worship the gold statue that I have set up? And he says, I like you so much. This, I'm adding this in. That's why it's not up there. He says, I like you so much. I'm going to give you guys one more chance to bow down. Because he said, if you don't bow, you burn, right? But he says, hey, I'm going to make an exception for you guys. You guys are sharp. Y'all been good to me. I know y'all just made an honest mistake. Just a misunderstanding, I'm sure, guys. So I'm going to give you one more chance to bow down and worship. That's interesting that he says worship. Because worship can only come from the heart. Culture is not for our attention. It's for our heart. Because what? It wants the worship. Why was Satan cast out of heaven? Because he didn't want to just be like God. He wanted the worship of God. That's why we glorify celebrity in our culture. People want to be worshipped. It's pride in the heart of man. It is the original sin. Adam and Eve were not the first ones to sin. Satan was. And it said that pride was found in his heart. And therefore God rejected him. Because he wanted what was belonged to God. So Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, you refuse to serve my gods or worship the statue that I have set up. I'm going to give you this one chance, guys. When the music plays, just bow down. It's simple. He says, but if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the burning furnace. And watch this statement. And what God will be able to rescue you from my power. If you didn't think the guy had a little bit of narcissism. He's saying, I'm a God, and who can rescue you from me? What, what can happen? And so, I won't go into all the story, but I will, I'll, brief, I'll overview it for you. Nebuchadnezzar gets so mad in this moment. Well, let me, hold on, let me read the rest. I need to finish. There's one more verse I need to read before I go on. It says, and so these three guys respond to Nebuchadnezzar. Now they're young, and so I don't know. I was a youth pastor for years. I just hear sarcasm when they respond. That's how I hear it. You may hear it differently. But they respond, and they say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God. They didn't just say a God. They said the God. In other words, the God of Israel. I know we're in Babylon right now, but the God of Israel... Whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. So he says, what God will rescue you from me? And they said, oh, it's the Lord and he will rescue us from your power. They didn't like pull back and just try to PC it. And just like, let me figure out another way, nice way to say it. No, Nebuchadnezzar, you ask which God, I'm going to tell you which God. And he's going to deliver us from you. He says, he... But then there's this next part of this verse, and this is where really the the title of this series comes. And I think that this is the kind of people that we have to be. And he says, but even if, what's the even if? What did they just say? Our God will deliver us from your power. But even if, 
even if he doesn't, even if my prayer doesn't get answered, even if situations don't turn out the way that I thought they should, even if I don't get what I want, even if I'm going to live by the conviction that God is God and that I am not, and therefore he is worthy of my worship, even if everything is different than I thought. Like, God, I'm going to trust your wisdom, and I'm going to trust you in this moment, because I don't have to understand God to follow him and to trust him. And so even when people want to come and accusations want to come and, and, and people want to say things about us, even as believers, we have to have the intestinal fortitude to stand up and to have some backbone about us and to say, I still believe the word of God is the word of God. And I don't care if it's not popular. I don't care if you don't agree with it. It's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. And so we don't, now, we don't have to be a jerk about the truth. We do have to stand for the truth. It is possible to love people and to love truth. We don't have to compromise the truth to love people. Because if we love people, that's actually what leads them to Jesus. So if we compromise the truth, we actually can't bring them to Jesus. Why? Because he is the truth. That's why we can't compromise the truth. We have to hold to the convictions of the word of God. But I love their attitude here. And it says, even if he doesn't deliver us. We want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you've set up. We'll burn before we'll bow. What a, I mean, what a statement. Even if he doesn't, it's fine by us. I've already counted my life and it's worthy of this moment. Now, my prayer is that we would never get to this place. But what I'm telling you is that our, our heart, we need to have a mentality as believers, not to fight, but to stand. I don't want to win an argument. I mean, I love to debate. It's fun to me. I love, I mean, I really do. And for years I would debate people and I realized, you know, no one's ever gotten saved because I debated them. No one's ever been like, you know what, you've convinced me. <laughs> you made some really valid points right there. And I've just never considered that. I think I want to become a Christian. <laughs> so I can win the argument and lose the fight that I'm, right? But I have seen people, many people, who have said, Man, I've been watching you, and I see the way you live, and I see the way you act, and you just act differently. You respond differently, and that's being salt in the earth. And they ask, what's different about you? Why do I like you? It gets said a lot of different ways. Oh, you don't actually like me. You like Jesus inside of me, because I'm not that nice anyways. (laughs) You're getting the upgraded version of me. So the story goes on, Nebuchadnezzar gets so angry at these guys, he puts a commandment and says, hey, heat the furnace seven times hotter, bind them up, and throw them in the fire. Scriptures tell us that the fire was so hot, the heat coming out of the furnace was so hot, that the guys that threw them in the fire dropped dead. 
Now, we don't know how long these guys were in the fire. It doesn't say. I don't know if it was moments. I don't know if it was minutes. I have no idea. But Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace and he says, Hey, didn't we put three guys in there? And everybody's like, yeah, there were three guys. And he says, then why do I see four? And one of them looks like the son of God. See, so many times we want to say, God, get me out of the fire. Get me out of the fire. Get me out of the fire. And God's waiting for us in the fire. Like, God, would you work? Would you deliver me? Would you get me out? He says, yeah, but I'm going to walk you right through the middle of it. You're like, yeah, but that's hard and that's difficult and I don't like that and it's uncomfortable. But God is a God of development and God is working in us all the while, the Bible says, to what? To do of his good pleasure. And we all have things that need to be worked on. And God says, look, I'm not going to abandon you, but I will walk you with you. I mean, that's what the psalmist said, right? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not setting up camp there. I'm not building a house there. I'm going through there. He says, I will be with you. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in there walking around in the fire with Jesus. Many scholars believe that this is Jesus himself walking in the fire. And so many times, you know, we, we read these stories and, and look, no one's going to throw you into a physical furnace today. I mean, I, I don't know that I've, I mean, I have heard of people being burned at the stake, I suppose, but... But what about the little things? When people question God or Christianity or your, your belief and do we just like, well, I'm just not going to say anything. And again, I'm not telling you to argue with people. That's not what I'm saying. But we do have to stand up for truth. I mean, the Bible says in the last days that what is right will be called wrong and what is wrong will be called right. Now, here's what I would tell you. If I'm going to actually speak into somebody's life, I want to have a relationship with that person. I'm not going to pick a fight with some dude or, you know, try to defend something with somebody that I just don't know at all. They're not going to listen anyways. They don't know you from anybody. The validity of your conviction is your lifestyle. Let me say it this way. The credibility of your convictions is your lifestyle. How you live, how you act. That's what makes it real. After a few moments go by, we don't know how long, but Nebuchadnezzar yells and tells the boys, he says, hey, come out of the fire. In verse, second part of verse 26 and 27, it says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. The people who threw them in there got killed, throwing them in there. And it says that they stepped out of the fire. It says, then the, the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. God was protecting them the whole time. Psalms 91 echoes this, by the way. If you're like, I don't know if God will do that. It's in scripture multiple times. I like this part though. It says that the fire had not touched them. It says not even a hair on their head was singed, And their clothing was not, was not scorched. And they didn't even smell like smoke. Now I don't know about you. I've been to some bonfires. And I walk away going, am I burning? Because I smell like I'm on fire. 
Like pick up the shirt the next day and you're like, oh my gosh, it's, I mean. And yet here it says, not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothes didn't even, weren't scorched at all and they didn't even smell like smoke. See, there is a, and this is what I, I need you to understand, is that there is a truth that is greater than my truth. And if we're not careful, what we see with our natural eyes will be the truth. In the natural, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were getting thrown into that fire and they were going to die in that furnace. That was their truth. It was facts. The guys that threw them in there died. So, they're next, obviously. So they had the truth that they were about to to die, but the truth, God's truth, was that he was waiting for them right there in the middle of that fire. God's truth superseded their truth. And if we're not careful, we will live by what we see, by what we read, by what we... and, And we'll totally forget about what God has said about our circumstance, our situation. Let me put it in another setting. Not so much about this. Is that we can get a diagnosis from a, from a doctor and instantly fear sets in. And we totally forget about God's promises in his word. Even though God says, I am the God who heals. And I am the God who restores. And I will deliver you. We forget about all that because why? We have a reality and it is true. There is a truth to that. But it doesn't mean that it's the absolute truth. Is that the word of God is actually a truth that will override and supersede even our natural knowledge and understanding. It doesn't mean to be foolish. That's not what I'm saying at all. But we have to understand that God will put us in situations so that only he can get the glory. Nobody was looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going, you guys are amazing. Even if you go and look, Nebuchadnezzar declares that your God is God. He didn't say you guys are the gods. He said, no, you're God. But why? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't say, well, it's going to be my faith that's going to deliver me, Nebuchadnezzar. No, they said, my God will deliver me. And so who gets the glory, though? Who gets the credit? It's God. See, what's interesting to me, and one of the little facets that I thought about when I was studying this and just kind of reading through it and pondering it was this. You know, they only lost one thing in the fire. Anybody take a guess of what it is? What was it? The thing that bound them. The thing that that constrained them and held them. The only thing that happened was actually a good thing. Because the Bible says that they walked around in the fire. They didn't just sit there and be like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Jesus like, come on guys, let's go for a walk. I don't know where, I mean, must have been a pretty big furnace. I don't know how far they were walking, but. See, what the enemy, the Bible actually says this, what the enemy intends to destroy you with is the very thing that God wants to use to free you with. And those situations that seem so difficult and so challenging. And trust me, I have been through them. I now look back on them and I see the hand and the wisdom of God going, I'm so thankful for some of the worst seasons of my life. I'm not thankful for the worst of it, but I am thankful for what God did through it. I really am. 
This is why, like, I'll just give a little plug. We don't have it going on right now. We will in the fall. Freedom groups. Why? Because the enemy wants you to be identified as something other than who God called you to be. Our freedom groups, that's what they're all about. They're about helping you understand that God wants you to live free. And here's why it matters. And I want you to catch this. Is that the enemy doesn't want you to get to freedom. He doesn't really want you to get to a place of peace. He doesn't want you to get to a place of healing. He doesn't want you to get to a place of victory. Why? Because when you get there, he can't control you. And now he has a real problem on his hand. And that's why those groups are important. Because if you can get resolve and healing from all the past stuff that the enemy intended to destroy you with, now there's power to go out and to live the full life that Christ gave and to influence and affect other people. Your greatest testimony is going to come out of your greatest pain. The thing that I have found in many people's life is the source where the enemy did the most damage is the place that God wants to use them. I've seen it over and over and over again. Now this is just a side thought. But it was something that I had thought about. You know, we have this story of these three guys. But how many times do you think those guys retold this story? In their lifetime? Grandpa, Grandpa, tell me the story about the furnace again. I know I've heard it like a thousand times. but Tell me again. They had a reputation for the rest of their life. They walked out of the fire. And it was a testimony every time that somebody saw them. Yeah, the enemy meant to destroy them. I thought their marriage was done, but God restored it. Look at it. They walked through the fire, but look what God did. Man, I thought that kid, I thought they were so far gone, and that mom just wouldn't keep praying for them. And I thought, I kept telling her, you got to quit praying, you got to quit praying, you got to just let them go, just whatever. And she just wouldn't stop, but today they're serving the Lord. But the devil, the story the devil was writing, God comes in and rewrites the story. And says how it started is not how it has to end. But we have to be willing to, what, to stand upon God's word. I mean, I can't, I mean, it was just kind of a thought that I had one day. I was like, man, I wonder how many times they retold that story. Everywhere they went, I'm sure they're like, I don't want to, I'm sure they got to the point where like, I'm, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. Everybody knows the story and they're like, no, please, you have to tell us, you have to tell us. What'd y'all talk about in the fire? <laughs> like, that's one of the things I would be curious about, like. Man, you'd think it'd be hotter in here. You know, like, I don't know what they were talking about. I really don't. I'm, it says they walked about and talked. What did they say? This is crazy. Look at this. You know, I don't know. But what a legacy to leave. What a legacy to have. Hey, I'm from that firewalking bunch. Oh, you're one of them. I mean, it's a lot better than the alternatives, I suppose. See, God will use people like that to just say, hey, even if I'm not, I'm not bowing, I'm not turning. One of the things that I would encourage you with, and, and this is important for the days that we're headed into, is this. is I believe that we as Christians, as believers, because our culture is so sensitive. Everybody gets offended about everything. I don't like the color of your shirt. Well, I don't like you. Well, I don't... It's snowballs, right? As believers, we've got to have some thick skin. And here's the more important part. 
We've got to have a tender heart, though. We can't become hardened by the culture that we forfeit our heart and that we become calloused and we just don't care about people. And we don't care about reaching people and loving people and, and the gospel meeting people where they are. No, we've got to have thick skin but a tender heart. Why? Because culture is after our heart. That's important to know. See, we have to have this tenacity about us, this something that just this dogged determination that I will not back down. I've already made up my mind. My, my trust and my belief in Christ, it's not up for debate anymore. I've made my decision. I'm not backing off and I'm not backing down. I'm going to stick to those convictions, not the circumstances that I'm going to trust and have faith in God that even when everything in the natural says, this ain't working, there's a truth greater than my truth in the moment. And I'm going to trust that God is working for me in the midst of all of these things. See, the thing is, is that we want, when we pray many times, and we may not pray for this specifically, but if you really boil it down, is that we'll pray for our comfort. But here's the thing that I have out is that God will never lead me to a life where he is unnecessary. He's just not. He's God. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of honor. And God will never lead me to a life where I don't need him. Ever. Why? Because we're people of faith and it takes God for our lives to actually work and to make sense. And so my question for you, one of my questions for you today is this, is are the things that you're living for right now? Like if you really did some heart evaluation, are the things that you're living for, the things that you're pursuing in your life, are, are they really worth Jesus dying for? Because we might be pursuing some things that really, they're just wants, but they're not actual needs. Look, God has no problem with you having stuff. I have a nice house. We drive decent cars, nice cars, whatever. God doesn't care about that stuff. God wants you blessed, I believe, from Scripture. But God has a problem when my stuff has me more than I want Him. Like, well, how do you know? Which one do you want more? Which one do you think about more? Which one gets more of your attention? What gets more of your focus? See, Jesus died, the Bible says, so that we could live. One last scripture as we close out today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says, So now, beloved ones, says, stand firm and secure. Another way to say that is to be steady. As believers, see, this is the beauty of conviction. When I settle my convictions in my heart, I don't do this anymore. I'm not all over the map. There's a steadiness that comes into my life because my decisions are already made. And it says, stand firm and be secure. Live your lives with unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. Because we're assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures other translations actually say that lead us that fruit that will speak in eternal life so the way that i'm living and what i'm doing right now actually will echo throughout eternity in my life in your life
So look, we, we may, I mean, I, I pray that we never see persecution like this happening today, right now. I mean, there is very real, very in your face persecution right now from family members to family members. That if they were honest about their faith in Christ, their family would kill them. Their own brothers, parents, siblings. I mean, we don't understand this. Thankfully, we don't. We're very blessed, very privileged that we have no context to give that. But you realize the church globally is, is very persecuted. But God responds to persecution. You say, well, man, this sounds like doom and gloom. Let me just help you out. The Bible tells us that in the last days, I believe we're living in the last days. You're like, when's Jesus come back? I ain't got a clue. But I do know this from Scripture. There's a lot more things that are happening right now. You're like, oh, this stuff's been going on forever. Not this much stuff all at the same time. And there are things that God has set and said, that when you see this happen, pay attention. When you see this happen, pay attention. Some of these things just happened in a few months ago. There were peace treaties that were signed a few months ago. The Bible talked about 2,000 years ago. Is Jesus coming back this year? Probably not. Is he coming back soon? I believe so. Then when you really understand scripture and you look at the time frames, let me just help you because I know because I, I can already hear it in my head. Well, nobody knows the day or the hour. It's a secret up to the Lord. Well, let me give you another scripture that can combat that argument. Speaking of debating. Jesus said, this day, the return of Jesus will not overtake you like a thief in the night. We, the church, I do not believe from Scripture, will be surprised in that moment. I just don't. Now, we may not be able to say, Jesus, come back tomorrow. But we're going to say, God's up to something. Something's happening. Something's different. Something's, we're not going to be caught off guard. We're not going to be unaware. But we have a job to do until he gets here. And that's to make sure as many people see the gospel. I think people many times need to see it more than they need to hear it. A lot of people have heard it. They just haven't seen it in practice. And so people need to see us live our life, live out our convictions. And so part of this series, one of the things that I wanted to do.